So John Fanta joins us now on the program to talk about the Big East. And yesterday I felt bad because John Fanta, I when I called you to, to you know, reacquaint and to make sure that we could get you on today, which I appreciate, <laughs> um, did Gino Ariema yell at you? Because you were standing next to Gino Ariema, and at first I thought maybe you were in a hospital. You know, it, it would have been fitting that you two were the reason why I get yelled at. <laughs> I mean, I, I felt bad. I should have. I should have said, you know, Gino, it's it's Jay Query's fault. <laughs> and I wonder what he would have said to that. Who? That's I, what he would have said. It would have it would have involved an F word. That's probably right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, first off, John, I want to thank you for coming on, and I'll tell you why. And I, I, I remember, and I'm, you know, brace yourself here. Um, <laughs> the first time that that I did a radio, as we call it in the business, a radio hit with you. I, I remember you were starting out covering the Big East. And I'll be honest with you, I was absolutely mesmerized by it. For for people in Indianapolis, and this, John, wouldn't make sense to you, I realize, but there's a guy at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the track historian of the speedway named Donald Davidson. And literally, you could ask him the qualifying speed of somebody in 1937, and he knows the car number, the sponsor, the speed, everything else. <laughs> and you were like that with the Big East. I was mesmerized by your knowledge of the conference itself. And so when we wanted to talk about Connecticut, I thought, well, this guy's the guy. No question about it. So um, I'm excited to have you on. I appreciate it. And let's begin with first exactly that. The Connecticut team that Indiana is going to see, a game before then for Indiana, before they see Connecticut. But what sort of challenge is presented now for Indiana and what things is Danny Hurley continuing to have the Huskies do well? Well, you have to stop Donovan Klingon. That's challenge number one. And – Kalel Ware is going to have to play a large role in this game and really fight. Klingon is seven foot three. Uh, UConn has him listed at seven foot two. He measured out to seven foot three last week, and he wants to stay at seven foot two because he doesn't want that to become the talking point every time somebody talks about him. But this guy is a monster. I mean, he he is just a force on the interior. They're going to feed him the basketball early and often. He can draw fouls, but he'll just tower above you. So it's, it's imperative. If I'm Indiana, I try to get him up in the air. You, you've got to find a way to attack and get him up in the air. If you can get two quick ones, two quick fouls, then you're cooking with gas. But you can't let him dominate the game. They're going to play through him early and often. The other thing is, so, so here's a big note for you, because I had UConn earlier this week for Fox Sports in a bye game against Mississippi Valley State. And when you're getting ready to do a game like that, guys, sometimes it's harder to do games like that than it is like a UConn-Indiana where you know it's going to probably be a more competitive game. So it forces you to sort of dive into your notes even deeper. Guys, according to the advanced analytics, Synergy, all of that, Connecticut, through their first three games of the season, they've taken two shots that weren't in the paint or from three. Two the entirety of the three games. In other words, you got to run them off the three-point line. They are efficiency-based. They're three-point-based as well. Cam Spencer, his ability to knock down shots. The Rutgers transfer has really injected a, a nice perimeter boost for them. Tristan Newton can hit. And, guys, I think their best player could be Alex Caravan, the stretch four, which is saying something because I like Klingon, but Caravan weaves it all together. Now, Stefan Castle's status, a five-star freshman, McDonald's All-American, who, G, who uh, Danny Hurley says is his best defender. Castle's status is up in the air for Sunday. I, I think 
He is questionable at best right now, so that could help Indiana. But the fact of the matter is this, Connecticut's still got championship experience, and they have one of the best big men in the country. You know, John, a year ago, the guy that really impressed me in the tournament, and obviously I wasn't alone, but I just was so impressed and at times mesmerized by Jordan Hawkins' ability, just quick release, shoot like a rhythm shooter, right? I thought that he was really fun to watch. And he clearly was a catalyst for Connecticut last year. With his departure, does, has that altered in any way? Sounds like not, but has that altered in any way their their offensive operations and the way they want to do things? And have they been able to replicate from anybody else what it was he brought to the table? Well, they have been, and they're actually more diversified. So they didn't cover up his absence with one guy. They went ahead and, and, and they've diversified. At the end of the day, guys, when they were only relying on Hawkins, at one point last year, they lost six of eight. I mean, people don't talk about that, but UConn really struggled in January. And it's because they were over-relying on Hawkins. When he hit his groove, nobody could beat him. Now, for this UConn team, Bringing in Spencer, Cam Spencer from Rutgers. He had a game winner against Purdue. Sorry, Boilermaker fans. Uh, but he's come up huge for before in his college career, and he is wired to compete. That was the big transfer portal ad. But I, I just, to me, Caravan and Klingon are not typical sophomores. They're sophomores by classification. They're not sophomores in how they play the game. So, you know, you bring in a, a top-five recruiting class. Now, that class has not been impressive thus far. So I think the interesting dynamic to Sunday's game is going to be how much, does, how much faith does Hurley have in his freshman in a big game? I think the first 10 minutes of the game are going to be huge. UConn hasn't played anybody. All right, now Indiana, they had a scare against Army. Sometimes, though, when you have a scare – it actually it just gets you thinking more. It gets you, like, it, it, yes, it's scary. Yes, I'm sure Hoosier fans were ticked off that that was a game. But, but my, sometimes it's not the worst thing in the world when you're forced late in the game to find a way. UConn hasn't been in a close game. They, they've flown their three opponents out by a combined 120 points. So, to me, I think that's the interesting layer to Sunday. Connecticut hasn't been punched. They've not been punched by anybody. Can Indiana punch them early? If they do not, then it's going to be a long afternoon. You cannot let UConn get up on you. They, to me, they're a team that, that when they get up on you, they can bury you because they can get so in rhythm from three with Spencer, with Caravan, with their shooting. John Fanta, college basketball broadcaster and maestro of Big East coverage, host of the Big East Shootaround. Nice enough to take some time with us here on Query and Company. John, it's a great point you bring up because in the games against Florida Gulf Coast, in the game against Army, it has been early first-half struggles for Indiana where they're trailing at times, but they're still a big enough bully where they can figure it out in the second half and move on to a victory. And I agree with you, if that happens against UConn, it's going to be a long day for them in the Empire Classic for you at your vantage point, I know you're heavy Big East, but as you look at the Empire Classic, as you look at this matchup, how do you see Indiana and how they're trying to figure things out offensively in a post-life with Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen hood Shafino now in the NBA? Well, first, I, I appreciate that. And as much as I am the East Coaster, you know, I, I and have gotten my start in the Big East. I've done a, a lot more Big Ten the last couple of years for Fox Digital. And I'll tell you what, um, you know, I, I think up until this season, I, I, I think Mike Woodson has exceeded original expectations. 
the hire got got criticized and i'm not saying people can't criticize stuff now this year it it's different because you're right they are without you know trace jackson davis and jalen hood shafino did so much for that team last year but but when you ask me what's the path to success i mean the path to success for me is malik Grinnell. he's got to be able to perform uh, a six foot nine sophomore who thus far has averaged close to 15 points per game, four assists per game. Mike Woodson talks about consistency with Renell. You, you got to be able to come in, game in and game out, and do it for your team. He's too good physically. He's too too strong of an athlete to not be a guy that's a force for this team. Xavier Johnson's going to run the team. He's going to keep you in a lot of games in the Big Ten. And Kalel Ware looks like thing, he's picking up on things. I, I think the concern I have is who's the perimeter threat? They don't have one. This is not a good. Allegedly, allegedly, it's going to be Mbako, right? McKenzie Mbako, but but that well, has yet to show itself. Yeah, he's still waiting for a chalupa. I haven't seen it yet. I mean, <laughs> just beyond like uh, you know, I, the thing is sometimes, and I'm still waiting for a chalupa too. But you know, I'm, I'll be self-deprecating myself. But the fact is, you've got to. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a lot, guys. Like, processing the game, even as a, as a potential one-and-done freshman, can be topsy-turvy in a world where fifth- and sixth-year players exist. So do I trust that? Do I trust that Mbako is the guy that they're going to have be their primary perimeter shot maker? I don't. I, I honestly think they missed in the portal by not getting a shooter. They missed. When you look at, speaking of the portal and just revamping rosters, so to speak, John Fanta is our guest, foxsports.com, where he covers the Big East amongst many different places. You can see him. But, um, John, the job that Thad Mata's done in kind of trying to reshape or remold Butler, your prognosis now for Butler in what obviously is a very competitive Big East? Well, my prognosis is last year they could not make a shot. It, offensively, Thad would tell you this. They were abysmal. I mean, he, he said that to me in the preseason. So what did they do? They said, you know what? we we got to be a little bit different. We can't always be gritty, not pretty, Butler, as much as that's in their definition. Guys, you got to score. The game has changed in the last decade. You know, even at the college level, you look at scoring this thus far this season, it's up. It's up. We're seeing games in the 80s thus far. Uh, and, and it's early, but teams are not defending at the same level. When they are, the officials were told before the season, hey, you got to give more to the offensive player again. Everything, you, everything was a charge last year. They're not calling any charges thus far this season. If you're watching it, it, it looks a lot like just different times in college basketball when, when it's always been a block. Like it, it, They've gotten back to that. Bringing in Posh Alexander was huge. He could be this team's court general. Pierre Brooks finally gets a chance. We'll see. I mean, that's a big question mark. Can Pierre Brooks, the Michigan State transfer, who now returns to East Lansing on Friday night, can he be able to have composure? He's physical, guys. He's, a, he's kind of a big wing, and he can shoot the basketball. I think they need him to be able to, and he's big in the, in the regard that he's sturdy and in the midsection. He's, he's got a little bit of bull and a china shop to him. I think it's big for them to be able to get production out of Brooks. And then Jameel Telfort, who's a wing from Northeastern and transferred into the program, I really like him. He, he could play some bully ball, some isolation ball on the elbow. They're better on the perimeter. Butler's better on the perimeter. What's my prognosis overall? I think they're probably an NIT team. Um, I, I think 
they're a team that will take a step in the right direction. To me, they don't have enough in the front court. And when you don't, the Jalen Thomas and Andre Screen are are solid. But guys, in the Big East this year, you got Ryan Kalkbrenner at Creighton. You got Donovan Klingon at Connecticut. You've got Eric Dixon at Villanova. You got Joel Soriano at St. John's. You got Osoe Godaro at Marquette. Like, there are elite five men in the Big East this year. Butler doesn't have that. John, you know the program. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a trivia question, John Fanta. Are you ready? I'm going to put you, on, I'm going to put you on the spot like you're waiting for a chalupa, okay? Yeah. There now I'm I'm older than than you by a few years. I mean I'm I'm obviously I'm 51. So I mean I grew up on I don't know introduction to basketball late 70s through the 80s. You know into the into the 90s was when you know I was a student, if you will. So the, the, there's a team in the Big East. There's a program in the Big East that I, for the life of me, can just not figure out why they've never been able to recapture themselves <laughs> and get back into the upper elite. They seemingly have every aspect of what you would want to be able to recruit and and build yourself a program. A, which program am I talking about? We'll go with that. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Well, I'm 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 gonna say Georgetown. Well, that's a good one. Okay, so yeah, Georgetown, man, the whole Ewing thing. It wasn't Georgetown. I'm going with DePaul, actually. I mean, You're going to go with DePaul. I mean, yeah, no, okay. Yep. You know, since Ray Meyer left, I mean, Georgetown at least has had has found themselves some flashes here and there. What is it about DePaul? And I know it's an Indianapolis sports talk show. Probably a lot of people are like, who cares about DePaul? But it's relevant somewhat because they've been kind of in that vat with Butler the last few years. And DePaul's the one that I keep thinking is is a sleeping giant. Why has DePaul never been able, right there in Chicago, to get the kind of players necessary to compete? Well, it's a, it's a great question. And, and that was going to be my other guess. Uh, I know it's easy to say in retrospect. Um, but, but you know, it's you're right, because they are in a big market of Chicago. And they should be able to – they're at a world-class arena. If you if you ever watch a game, it's, it's empty in there. But they, they just built the arena – five years ago it's a beautiful building beautiful it's in the south loop of chicago why haven't they been able to do it honestly guys it starts at the top i mean they they have not done a good job administratively now they hired an athletic director Dwayne peavy uh who was john calipari's right hand man at kentucky Dwayne is i'll tell you he's he's done a lot of good there um, he's already upgraded facilities. He's got their NIL going in a better direction. But, guys, when you've lost for 20 years, I mean, they haven't made the NCAA tournament since 2004. Like, Unbelievable. That's, that, that is, that's unacceptable. 2004, they have not made the NCAA tournament since. So here's the thing. When you lose, and, and I'll tell you, you know, let's – just going to be honest here, why have they not been successful? They have the same family running the school and the athletic department for, for years, and there was no expectation, nor was there accountability. You know, uh, they had an athletic director named Gene Lenti Ponsetta who did a lot of good, and, it's, and, and a lot of good in women's basketball. But guys, in the main revenue sport, she wasn't able to deliver. They've made bad hire after bad hire. They, they have not been able to get a young and rising star. I mean, and the best DePaul story that even your listeners can appreciate is this. This explains sometimes it's not about – like, I know you say getting great players, but you got to get the right coach first. Right. But then can get the players. They, they hired Tony Stubblefield, an assistant for, 
you know, Mick Cronin at Cincinnati and Dana Altman at Oregon, but assistants don't always make great head coaches. And there was a reason why he was out there. Um, here's the best story. As they're hiring Stubblefield, okay, who was the other finalist for the job? John Shire. Wow. John freaking Shire. <laughs> yeah. And, and, the, and the, shot, the interview with Shire wrapped up, and the athletic director, Dwayne Peavy, said, you know, I think this is who I want to go with. He was set on John Shire. This is a story not many people know. Who's a Chicago kid, right, John Shire? Yeah, Chicago yeah. kid wanted to resurrect a Chicago program. Like, would have had great pride, rising star, really smart. Petty gets it. You know, the, Dwayne goes to his board at DePaul, and the boardroom looks at him and goes, I think we're going to go in a different direction. We don't like him. So guess what? Dwayne had to call John Shire. They both got off the phone. Both of them were crying. John Shire was crying and so upset with himself. He thought he had failed miserably, that he couldn't get the DePaul job. Three months later, Mike Krzyzewski announced he was retiring. John <laughs> Shire was the heir to the throne. Yeah, it worked out, right? Um, I love Ed Cooley at Georgetown. I think he's a heck of a coach, to be honest with you. I just look at Georgetown to Paul, and you know, I wonder, John, if Butler, if those are the teams that are down there in that category with Butler in the division over the course of the year. Any, any, does Butler exceed above where those guys are? Yeah, they can. They can. Uh, but you know, here's the thing. Okay, you've got to. What you have to do is you have, while others are zigging, you've got to zag. So Butler's never going to be able to hit the grand slam in the transfer portal. They're never going to get the best transfer out there. They're not going to get one of the best 10 transfers out there. They have to sell freshmen on development. They have to say, hey, here's our, here's our collective. You're going to steadily grow in our program. You're going to be a face of our program. You're going to be a terrific college player. You're going to get to play at Hinkle Fieldhouse. We're going to make you better, and we'll be loyal to you. We'll play you as a freshman. You might make mistakes. We'll be okay with it, but you're going to stay by us. And, guys, some programs are starting to do this. Everything cycles in college basketball. Everyone, you know, the latest take is NIL is killing college basketball. No, it's not. Ask Florida Atlantic and San Diego State if NIL killed college basketball. And the people who are like, it's an outlier. It's an outlier. No, it's not. Hey, you know, St. Peter's, Princeton, FDU last year, these are not outliers. Great teams win. So if you're Butler, you have to sell on on being able to get sometimes the three-star kid and look internally and say, how do we turn them into a five-star college hoops player? You're not going to get an NBA player, but you can get a great college player, and if you're able to set them up in the right system, that still can matter. You've got to dig down deep. You've got to roll your sleeves up, but guess what? That's how Butler's always had to do their business. The disadvantages that have always existed in college sports, NIL is just a new one. There are layers to it. There are wrinkles to it. But if you understand the fit, I'll take fit over a $50,000 salary or a $100,000 ad buy for a player. I'll take fit over that because guess what? That's what ends up winning in March. Our Thursday road trip is with John Fanta. We're out east with him talking about not only the Big East, but more. It is, of course, brought to you by our friends over at AAA Hoosier Motor Club. On the road, brought to you each and every Thursday by AAA Hoosier Motor Club. You can purchase a one-year Triple Classic membership and save 50% on AAA's legendary roadside service. Don't get stuck on the side of the road, especially when it comes to this winter. John, lastly, Purdue. Purdue. Um, 
Matt Painter, your overall thoughts. I know that obviously Big East, your area of focus, you can tell by your conversation about Indiana that you are in tune with the Big Ten. We know Purdue's going to be really, really good. Did they shore up the issues that were their Achilles a year ago? Yeah, I think they did. I really I really think they did. I, I think that they're as much of a front runner to win it all as anybody. And I know that people would get squirrely thinking about that on the outside because of, of what happened last year, but that was last year. This team, by bringing in Lance Jones, you know, he, he really helps. He's going to give them a different dimension. He's a senior who's been through the wars, fifth-year guy. That was a great pickup from, from SIU. You know, that was a really nice pickup that Matt Painter was able to bring in because he understands from Southern Illinois how to play the game four years there, and he doesn't have to be the best player on the team. You know, I, I think when you combine him uh, and – you look at what else they've been able to do with a Miles Colvin, the freshman, six foot five, Indianapolis kid. They just need him to come in and make shots. What did he do the other night? He came in, he played 11 minutes, he was three for three from three. Zach Eady's going to dominate. This team needs consistent three point shooting. Braden Smith can set him up. Braden Smith has 25 assists in three games. If they are knocking down perimeter shots, Purdue's the best team in the country, bar none. They could lose to anybody because their perimeter shooting was so, it was so frenetic last year. But I think bringing in Jones, a fifth-year guy, having Colvin come in, you don't need him to do overly too much. He's in the right role, and you have the best player in the country. It's not even up for discussion. Matt Painter and Purdue are made for a redemption tour. The Boilers will go in the Final Four this year. Nice, John, with the bold prediction. John, you're the best, man. We look forward to having you on again. I know you got a busy schedule, but great stuff. Look forward to talking to you again over the course of the season. Anytime, guys. I appreciate you. All right, again, John Fanta from FoxSports.com covering the Big East. Thursday road trip, by the way, here on 93.5, 107.5. The fan brought to you by AAA, our friends at AAA Hoosier Motor Club. You can purchase a one-year Triple Classic membership and save 50% right now on AAA's legendary roadside service and much more 24-7. 365. And I'm telling you, you're on the side of the road in the wintertime. AAA is there for you. It's a lifesaver. Visit AAA.com slash gift for more information. That is AAA.com slash gift. You can always call 800-888 or excuse me, 888-AAA-GO. But more importantly, visit AAA.com slash gift for more. Great stuff from John Fanta. Now, have you had Fanta uh, soda? Yeah, it sucks. Not a fan. Not a fan. How about Shasta? What about Shasta? You had the Shasta? Can't say I have. So when I was in the hospital, um, you know, for the ticker issue, the the one thing, once I recovered, the reward that I got at the hospital where I was staying, Motman, and, and they were the best, right? Uh, so Motman comes in and he's like, I'm like, look, can I just get like a Diet Coke? I'm dying. He's like, yeah, 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 you're, you're good now. Like we've, we've got you monitored on your heart rate. Everything's good. And he brought in like a four ounce can of Diet Shasta. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute, Reuben Board here is really pricey. Is it like, did you guys get a deal at a wholesale club on Shasta? Who drinks Shasta, right? Have you ever heard of a, a, a place that serves Shasta as their primary soda? I don't know what that is. It's like, Shasta's like a knockoff of Fanta, if that tells you anything. At least Fanta, you get like the peach and the, fa- like the you know, the different, and then there's Fago, right? Fago's kind of like in that same category. Heard right? of Fago. I've heard of Fago, not Shasta, though. Exactly. Can't you haven't even you. heard of Shasta. That's how bad it is, right? Yeah. But listen, man. John Fanta, like just that ability, it mesmerizes me to be able to know. I have always thought, and I'm the first to admit, I couldn't do what we do for a living. I'm not saying I even do it well here, but I I couldn't do nationally. Like I couldn't do a national show, I don't think, just because I don't have the depth of knowledge of teams all the way across the board to know 
you know, Jimmy, I mean, you just name any any roster and the ability to be like, well, you know, they got this kid coming off the bench and this coach doing that. I mean, to me, it's it's uber impressive. And the depth of knowledge to me is really, really something. So appreciate John Fanta's time. I'm back to Query and Company. Rolling on a Thursday. A wonderful piece highlighting not just the current state of the Indiana Pacers and what they're trying to build, but a feature piece on star guard Tyrese Halliburton came out a couple days ago by Rob Mahoney, who joins us now, senior writer for The Ringer. Rob, first off, thanks so much for making the time for us. And secondly, what made you want to dive into what is a very in-depth, multi-layered piece on what the Pacers believe is their next great franchise player? Yeah, I think for me, it was just the charisma of his play, right? It was, you know, as, as a neutral observer of the game, as someone who's watching every team, I was feeling like drawn to watch the Pacers last season in particular. And I think the way in which he gets everyone around him to not only play in a similar style, play in a similarly unselfish style, but enjoy themselves while they're doing it. Like there's, there's just a, an unbelievable kind of allure to that style of play. And so I was curious, like, how that manifests in the Pacers, where that pays off, and like how conscious the organization is of, of kind of leveraging those things. Because for me, from a national perspective, I'm always wondering, what does the star player of this team allow a team to do differently than other teams? And I think for the Pacers, like Tyrese Halliburton's style and unselfishness and charisma, that's, that's kind of his superpower in a lot of ways. So the thing that's interesting to me, Rob, and you certainly touch on this in the piece, which is obviously, as Jimmy said, very well written. With Tyrese Halliburton, all things are possible, is the name of the article at The Ringer. Now, knowing the Pacers a little bit, you know, when they built the St. Vincent Performance Center, I don't know if that's the exact word for it, but their facility across from the Fieldhouse with state-of-the-art whirlpools and kitchens and, you know, everything else that's in there custom for players – they thought we need to do something to separate ourselves from the other Midwestern cold weather cities to try to get people to want to play in Indiana. And I think that Kevin Pritchard knew that he needed a magnet to help do his recruiting over the course of the year on the trail. And that guy seemingly is Tyrese Halliburton. Question is, from everything that you have been able to determine – does he have that extra emphasis to bring players here like they had hoped a Paul George or a Victor Oladipo would? So I think he definitely has the ability to bring good winning players to Indiana. The question is if they're just of the caliber enough, they're going to be real difference makers, right? I think we're already seeing some of the payoff with players like Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin, like veterans of a certain level, unquestionably. Like you can come to Indiana, you can play great basketball that's fun to play that will get you paid because you're going to be productive in this fast-breaking system as to whether that's going to work to attract stars i think it depends on a couple of things one so like experiences like what Halliburton had with team usa this summer are very formative like establishing those kinds of connections continuing to be voted into and selected for the all-star game getting more more situations for the stars of the league to experience what the players on the Pacers do, which is when you play with this guy, it's going to sit in the back of your head. Like you're going to have that feeling of like, man, that was like, there's, there's something about that pace, that chemistry, that connection we had on the floor that worked really well. Like wouldn't that be awesome to have on a more full-time basis? And I think the more situations in which Tyrese is interacting with the other stars of the league in those capacities, 
his impact is kind of undeniable in that way. Rob Mahoney of The Ringer, nice enough to take some time with us here on Query and Company. Rob, you tweeted out an excerpt from a conversation that you had with Tyrese's father, John, who emphasized to you that while writing this piece, and maybe you don't treat it like this, but this is just what he told you, if you treat it like just another feature piece, you're not going to have the type of feeling and impact for the piece that it could get if you really dive into Tyrese's mind and focus, as he said, to paraphrase from it, feel the same joy that he feels playing while you're writing this piece. When you finished it, when you put it out, did you feel what he told you that you would? It's <laughs> a great question. I, honestly, I think I, I did feel some of that in the process. And some of that was as much as anything, you know, I've, I've been doing this for a long time, profiling players for a long time, but there's in all of those processes in terms of reporting, you know, you ask the people around the team, the people in their lives about a certain player, and you can usually tell when there's something kind of under the hood, they don't want to talk about, you know, there, there are some, some side eyes, there are some rolled eyes, there's some like clipped answers when it, you know, it's clear that they are going to politically say the right things, but they don't necessarily love the guy. And I just could not have had a more polar opposite experience than with this one reporting on Tyrese Halliburton, where it was like people were jumping at the chance to talk about him and to talk about the impact he has on the team and to talk about who he is as a person. And that is, I can assure you, not always the case, but it made the process a lot more enjoyable for sure for my end. Here's the thing, Rob. Rob Mahoney, our guest from The Ringer, wrote about Tyrese Halliburton. One of the things to me that's fascinating, and I want you, Rob, we don't know one another, but but I'm giving you the pass here to say yeah, dude, you are totally off base and out of your mind, okay? <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that this is applicable to Tyrese Halliburton, but it's the one thing that maybe it's only like 1%, but I have pause, like, like pause or concern with. Um, whenever you have a guy like Tyrese Halliburton, three-star recruit coming out of high school in Milwaukee, signs with Iowa State over Bradley, Charlotte, and Drake. This isn't a guy that has been praised and seen his name in lights. You know, he starts in Sacramento. So now all of a sudden he's entering into a new arena in terms of the level of fame, adulation, praise for him that he, unlike a lot of players, has not previously experienced necessarily in his young, formidable years as a player. And I always wonder how guys are going to react to that. Tell me why that's not a concern with Tyrese Halliburton. Well, to be fair, I think it's a concern with every NBA player, right? Whether you're a high, highly recruited prospect coming up all the way or not, when you reach certain levels of fame, there's always going to be variables that, as an organization, you're a little nervous about. And it's burnt this place, right? I mean, a couple of times it's burnt Indiana. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if I were to make the case why that wouldn't be as much of a case, like a problem for, for Tyrese Halliburton in particular, I would start from the fact that He's so invested in other people on an interpersonal level and not just in a way that benefits him, not in a way that it's like, I'm going to help this person so that they make my job and my life easier. Like, he seems genuinely curious and interested in other people. For a player his age, I've, I've just legitimately never interacted with any player his age whose EQ is as high as his. Like his, his emotional intelligence is as high as his. And to me, that speaks to like a curiosity and a groundedness and a willingness to look outside himself that is different from a lot of NBA players and a lot of NBA circumstances that now that's not going to make him completely impervious to all of the pressures and draws that come with life in the NBA. Like it's, 
guys are pulled off the track of their career for all kinds of reasons. And he's going to face a lot of those same temptations and a lot of those same uh, same attractions from other markets and other stars. And everything we're saying about Tyrese Halliburton wanting to draw other players to the Pacers, like other players are going to want to draw Tyrese Halliburton to their teams too. So I, I think what makes me confident in his track as a player is who he is as a person. And it's maybe the most important part of scouting pro prospects, to be honest, is not, will the jumper translate? How are they going to hold up on defense? Are they good one-on-one creators? It's like, can you trust this player's work habits? Can you trust this player's professionalism? Can you trust that when they get into a difficult situation, they're going to want to pick the people around them up rather than tear them down? And those are areas where Tyrese Halliburton is just like A's across the board with flying colors. The Ringers' Rob Mahoney, senior NBA writer, joins us. Rob, you mentioned in the piece how close the relationship is with Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald. It's natural that it'll be close when they end up with Indiana together after being with Sacramento for that time. But you mentioned in the piece that Tyrese was hurt when the trade happened and Buddy kind of warned him the same thing happened to him in New Orleans. I'm by no means saying that you're now the the grade A source for how Tyrese Halliburton would feel or react as a human being, but I'm just curious, as you have those conversations, what do you think from afar writing this piece the impact would be on a player that's already gone through so much in his young career as Tyrese Halliburton if they were to trade Buddy Heald this year? Yeah, I mean, or even if they just don't agree to to a new deal sure. with Buddy Heald, yeah. you know, after, who went through his own round of negotiations with the Pacers on a potential extension. And I, I got the sense from from reporting around that that they weren't that far apart in terms of a negotiation number. Uh, so, so I don't think there's like a huge philosophical divide between the Pacers and Heald as far as like a future there by any means. But I do think things like that take a toll. You know, like not only are our Buddy and Tyrese close. But reported like repeatedly throughout the process of talking to people, they would refer to those two as like brothers or stepbrothers as a result of this trade, right? Like it it brought them closer and bonded them in a way that is is kind of unique in the NBA ecosystem. You know, players get traded together all the time, but often when they do, then they spiral off in different directions. But the fact that they've been traded to Indiana together. They were so like their connection on the court was so formative in establishing Indiana's style of play, like the randomness, the speed, the kick ahead threes. Like Buddy Heald's, you know, an amazing transition three point shooter, and Tyrese Halliburton's an amazing transition facilitator. Like that's not a coincidence, right? Who the Pacers are comes in a lot of ways from what those two were able to do on the court in that fraction of a season they played together after the trade. So I, I think that would take a toll. And as as an organization, as a front office, as a coaching staff you have to be conscious of those things. You have to be conscious of the fact that when you decide to take a player out of the rotation, to trade a player, to not extend a player, to let them go in free agency, there are human costs to all of those things. And you never want to be pressing the wrong button when it comes to your star players. And that's why, honestly, you look around the league, like, you know, Thanasis Antetokounmpo is a Milwaukee buck and the star of player X is happens to be on the roster for several seasons while he's there. Like these things are not accidents. Uh, I think Buddy's case is different in that he is a legitimately high level and impactful NBA player in addition to having this connection with Tyrese. And I, I, I personally would think that the Pacers would be wise to continue that relationship and bring him back, not just because of that relationship, because I think he's good for what they do. The article, again, is with Tyrese Halliburton, All Things Are Possible. The place where you can find it is at theringer.com. The guy that wrote it is our guest right now, Rob Mahoney. 
Rob, this is kind of neither here nor there, but I think it's interesting, and I don't know this answer, actually. I don't know if it kind of just came up in conversation and context clues for you. When Tyrese Halliburton was acquired from Sacramento along with Buddy Heald, obviously Domas Sabonis, who had been a really good player here, was sent out west. Was that because Indiana was actively trying to get Tyrese Halliburton and realized they had to surrender Sabonis to get him? Or was it the other way around? Was Sacramento like, hey, they got Sabonis and Turner. They got to get rid of one of them. We've got De'Aaron Fox already. Let's make the phone call. I think it – oh, I mean, not to split the hairs, but I think it's a combination of those factors. I think there was an acknowledgement that that version of the Pacers had kind of run its course. Correct. And in doing so, obviously you're going to have to trade somebody of import. Damanis Sabonis is is an attractive player, proven to be an all-NBA player who has really uplifted the Kings organization, much in the way that Tyrese has done for the Pacers. But when the Pacers management was navigating that situation specifically, I got the impression, and I was told, they were looking for specific kinds of players. And in particular, one, I think the fact that Tyrese was a pass-first point guard, something that this organization hasn't really had historically much at all, especially over the last maybe two decades or so, was very attractive to them, but also the idea that he is, as we've been talking about and around, the kind of talent who could potentially be a gateway for other stars. You know, I, I think for as, as great as Demonis Sabonis is, he was not that. And as for as great as Paul George was, he was not able to get players to come to Indiana. And so th- they were looking to identify different traits. And Halliburton was on a very, very short list of players who fit that bill. And it made just total sense for them and the Kings both in terms of kind of flipping those guys around and seeing how their fates may change in dealing with some of the redundancies that each had on their on their rosters at that time. And Rob, to me, Paul George – and look, I, I think the world of Paul George's skill set. I mean, I, I think he's as versatilely skilled a player as has ever come through this franchise. But the difference being, I think Halliburton has be, – just because of the position, not necessarily the personality or the guy, but Halliburton plays a position where he does have a greater ability to impact players on the floor and lift them up than did Paul George. Agree or disagree? I totally agree. I mean, point guard, at least in the way that the Tyrese is playing it, is a very high-touch position, right? You are interacting with every other player on the floor on basically in every possession level. And because of that – you're able to build confidence in everyone around you really consistently. You know, Paul George, you know, even when the Clippers run their offense through him, it's a little more siloed. It's a little more, I'm kicking specifically to the role man. I'm kicking specifically to a shooter. There are like assist connections on the floor, but it's just a different like fundamental format than what Tyrese is going through. And so I think when you play that way and, you know, Miles Turner is ducking in under the basket in a way that we see bigs all around the NBA do, and they they often don't get rewarded. Like, they don't get fed the ball in those situations. Their point guard just doesn't see them. The satisfaction and the affirmation that comes from the fact that Tyrese not only sees you, like he has the vision to see and identify that pass, but he is going to hit you, or he's going to point at whoever has the ball, like to whoever has the ball to make sure they see you. Like, those things are incredibly meaningful in, in team chemistry, in the, like, mental health and psychological health of a team over the course of a season. I, I think that, as much as anything, is, is why his impact on that team is so powerful. Rob Mahoney, senior NBA writer for The Ringer, joined us on Query & Company. Rob, in regard to gaining elite talent because of Tyrese Halliburton, the Pacers will likely always struggle still to capture that elite talent in free agency. But is it your understanding – that if they are to do that or if they're to do it through the trade market, it is now an easier transition 
because of the player Tyrese Halliburton is and his desire to make others around him better. Is that now an easier transition for the Pacers as a franchise with him than it was before? I believe so. And I think some of it is, you know, when you think about NBA team building, there's three ways to, to bring in talent and get better, right? It's free agency, it's trades, and it's the draft. Teams that are in a market like Indianapolis historically have leaned very heavily on the draft for obvious reasons, right? Like you get to choose the exact guy you want at your draft position, no questions asked, and you go from there. Like it's a, it's a very attractive position to be in for a team. But as far as like how the Pacers have navigated trades and free agencies or free agency, I think they've operated much like in, in the case of acquiring Halliburton in the first place. Like Tyrese Halliburton did not say he wanted to come play for the Pacers, and so he forced a trade to the Pacers. It just so happened that this trade for Domas Sabonis and Tyrese Halliburton made sense, and so the teams executed it. And Tyrese had to kind of pick up the pieces from there and, and kind of reestablish himself and start over with this new team in a way that he wasn't necessarily looking for at the time. And so those kinds of trades will always be available to the Pacers, right? We've seen them do, do well with them in the past, including getting Sabonis and Victor Oladipo in the first place. But what now is kind of open to them is this other part of the trade market, which is a player wants to come to play for the Pacers, right? It's a part of the trade market they haven't really had access to. It's a part that is historically reserved for just star-level players. You know, like uh, the Sixers' Furkan Korkmaz has an outgoing trade request that is now like three years old. Like role players do not get those wishes granted, but star players do. And so the idea that, okay, now not only can we make these savvy trades – you know, like for Sabonis and Oladipo, like we did in the first place, or for Halliburton, like we did in this case. But now maybe we'll have access to these other trades as well. That, I think, opens up a much wider world of opportunity in terms of getting where this franchise ultimately wants to go. Rob, are there players, Obi Toppin, for example, could could theoretically really benefit from Halliburton and wanted to play with him. Are, are there some players that would be weeded out because, and I don't mean this as a, neck, a knock on their intellect, but just their basketball instinct is not able to keep up with the pacing of the brain of Tyrese Halliburton on the floor? Yeah, I don't even know if it's an intellect thing so much as it's just players often are, are deeply entrenched in their style of play. Right. And it depends, it depends on where you came up and like what systems you played in college, in your previous NBA teams, and kind of where you are in your career. Like Aaron Neesmith is a great example of a guy who, who came up in a lot of structure, right? Playing at Vanderbilt, very structured offense. Then he went to the Celtics. He didn't really play very much. And so he comes to Indiana, and he has to kind of rewire the way he interprets and thinks about the game. Like, what am I supposed to do in these situations when it's not just set play call after set play call? And he's been incredibly successful in doing that. Not every player would be that way. And if Aaron Neesmith were eight years deeper into his career, maybe his habits would be so entrenched that it would be a a more difficult sell. So I think there's definitely players that don't necessarily fit with Tyrese. And there's obviously players too, who you may not want because they take the ball out of his hands too much. You know, he, he, he's played with other point guards, you know, famously played with the Aaron Fox in Sacramento, I think pretty effectively, honestly, in terms of their balance. But do you want another like ball dominant guard in that way to play with him? Maybe not. And do you want, some of these players who are overly dependent on a more methodical pace and structure, I think maybe not as well. Again, the article is on the ringer.com with Tyrese Halliburton. All things are possible. Rob Mahoney wrote it. Rob, appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Uh, There was a big story that took place in the last couple of hours uh, in a different area of the country that I think could have impact on Indianapolis. I'll let Jimmy know about that and we'll continue the conversation about obviously the Colts and Pacers, and we'll do it in the 2 o'clock hour here. It's Quarry and Company, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.